Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. So anyways, Psalm 124 is what we're on tonight. And what's unique about this psalm in particular, um, uh, in comparison to the other ones that we covered thus far, is that this psalm functions as a reflection on the road that's been traveled up to this point. Um, The beautiful thing about the Psalms of Ascent is they kind of paint for us uh, one metaphor of the Christian life, which is like a journey or a pilgrimage, an apprenticeship to the way of Jesus. And um, this Psalm in particular, 124, it teaches us the art of remembrance, of not only remembering where we've been and what we've come from, but especially remembering how God has been faithful to us throughout the journey, right? So um, a few days ago, Holly, my wife Holly, and Gabe, our oldest uh, boy, he's four years old, uh, they were in the kitchen, and uh, Holly opened the dishwasher to unload some of the dishes, and as she opened the dishwasher, uh, Gabe was right by her, and he gasped, and he said, wow, Mom, I did not expect this to be so beautiful. Uh, Rightfully so, Holly was a bit perplexed and kind of was looking around and said, Gabe, what's so beautiful? And Gabe says, the dishes. Look how colorful the dishes are. Um, Now, why do I tell that story? Why do I use that illustration? I I use that illustration because this story... um, is what Psalm 24 is specifically about. It's about finding beautiful things, about finding beauty in the most unlikely places. That's what Psalm 124 does. Uh, And even more to the point, it's about how God works most beautifully in the broken places of our lives. That's what Psalm 124 is reflecting on. That's what this psalm is about. And now that the psalmist has some mileage on the tires, now that he's gotten some steps in along the journey, um, he's now reflecting and he's remembering how God has worked uh, beautifully in the broken places, uh, in the places that we least expect to see him to work in many, many cases. Um, So I want us to look at where we see this, right? Where we see God at work in these broken places that are in our lives in beautiful ways. And it's pretty straightforward. So there's three little points tonight. First is we see it in the psalm, right? We're going to dive into the psalm. And then two, we see it in our lives. And three, uh, we see it on the cross. So first, we see it in the psalm. I want to just highlight quickly what we see in Psalm 124. The the first verse of this psalm really sets the stage for the entire psalm. Um, The psalm starts with a question of sorts. It's it's asking, essentially, where would we be without God? Where would we be without God? Literally, he uses the language, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. So he's asking this question, where would we be without God? And then he proceeds to articulate all the dangers that he's faced. And he does so using four different images to show just how bad it would have been uh, 
if he were to be without God. So the first image that we see is in verse three. He uses this picture of being swallowed alive um, as if by like some huge beast, but like there's enemies surrounding him and uh, presumably foaming at the mouth like a beast, like ready to just kill this guy. Uh, In verses four through five, he uses uh, the picture of a terrible flood, right? That he surely would have drowned in from the raging waters. Um, In verse six, he uses the picture of being caught in the teeth of uh, a wild animal like prey, right? And in verse seven, he uses the picture of a bird trapped in a net. Now, what's the psalmist doing? The psalmist is is actually taking a magnifying glass and he's reminding Israel, right? Something that you should always remember about almost all of the Psalms is that they were, they functioned kind of corporately. There's an individual dynamic to them of them reflecting on their own personal experiences, but almost always they were sung corporately in worship or recited corporately in worship. So he's capturing a collective history of a people. It's not just me and Jesus, right? It's this collective um, shared story. And this psalmist is taking a magnifying glass and he's reminding Israel just how serious the trouble on the road has been, right? Just how dangerous and traumatic their lived experience has been. But he's not just retelling these scary stories. It's not like a true crime documentary. There's a purpose um, underneath it. There's a purpose for him telling these stories of reliving uh, the dangers that they faced. Um, Eugene, Eugene Peterson, who I've referenced a handful of times throughout this series, he's got a great little book on the Psalms of Ascent called Along Obedience in the Same Direction. But he, he tells a fantastic little story in one of his books um, about a friend of his that took, uh, took some photos of ordinary objects throughout a kitchen, right? So a knife a matchstick, a cup, a sponge, a Brillo pad, forks, a bunch of different stuff. Uh, But the interesting thing was, is his friend used a magnifying lens. So the the shots themselves were actually like microscopically close and clear. And what the photos revealed is that these ordinary objects, just kind of day-to-day mundane objects, once they had been placed under a magnifying lens... Um, he realized that they had been created with such precision and carefully planned detail that produced this exquisite beauty. He even mentioned specifically like a Brillo pad, um, which is just kind of like a little metal spongy brush thing that cleans cast iron skillets and other stuff. Things that we normally pay no attention to at all. Things that we normally just tuck away into a drawer somewhere. Um, under further examination, became objects of great beauty. Forks, brillo pads, sponges, cups. Um, And that's the purpose underneath this psalm, right? The psalmist is reflecting on past events in his life and in the life of Israel, events that many people in our day would want you to believe are triggering, right? You probably shouldn't talk about it. Things that we typically want to bury deep down, kind of out of sight, out of memory, never to be talked about again. And yet the psalmist is digging them up and he's looking at them. He's putting them under a magnifying 
magnifying lens and he's examining them closely. And it's there that he finds the beautiful handiwork of God in his life. Looking at things that typically we just don't want to look at or we hide from the mundane to the tragic. So that's how we see it in the psalm. That's what the psalmist is doing for the people of Israel as a whole. And so I want us to spend some time reflecting on how we see it in our lives. All right, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, when I was reading the psalm, I was thinking of a, a book that I really liked recently um, called The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And um, many would have us think today, as I mentioned earlier, that traumatic moments in the past Um, the broken pieces of our lives are kind of best left in the dark, at least in some capacity, right? This is in many ways where the triggering phenomena has come up. So we've created these these safe spaces so that no one can encounter things that make them kind of feel uncomfortable. And this is actually what Jonathan Haidt captures in his book, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, and he calls it safetyism. Safetyism. And the irony, though, of safetyism and creating all kinds of warnings and precautionary tales of like not entering into anything that potentially may make you feel uncomfortable, uh, the irony is that psychologists and therapists have proven that if, say, um, for example, someone with PTSD actually wants to work through uh, their trauma, the best way to do that is not by creating a safe space everywhere so they never actually have to confront the bad memories the best way forward the way to heal is to incrementally expose yourself to those memories to examine them and take the long road of working through them not avoiding them and so we see something similar here in this psalm and what this psalm is saying to us for one, is that if you're unwilling to revisit the dangerous places of your past, uh, for one, you will miss the fact that God was at work there. But secondly, and even more importantly, uh, you will miss the beauty that God wove into the broken places of our lives. The beauty that actually transforms us for the road ahead, that transforms us on this journey. The beauty, mind you, that also makes us attractive to our neighbors that are looking to navigate life's hard path. The psalmist is saying, don't overlook the broken places because that is where God does his most beautiful work. So I want to encourage you, right, to do what the psalmist does. I want you to take the magnifying glass, as it were, and look at your life. Can you see the faithfulness of God bringing beauty out of the broken places? Many of you, uh, I've mentioned this a handful of times. Um, Some of you don't know, you maybe knew, but a lot of you do know. Uh, My dad was actually in, in prison the majority of my upbringing. So from the time I was three years old to high school. And um, during that time, uh, as you can imagine, the relationship that existed between my mom and uh, my mom's side of the family and my dad and my dad's side of the family was pretty broken. Um, And during many years uh, while my dad was in prison, uh, my dad would write me letters um, regularly 
consistently. But my mom, and this is not to throw my mom under the bus, my, my mom actually did not want me and my sister to read those letters at the time because she thought maybe we didn't need to really, we were too young um, and was trying to protect us in the best way that she thought how. So my grandparents on my dad's side actually saved all of these letters and they piled up over a decade, right? Tons of these letters and uh, as many of you know, um, my first year here as campus minister, just about three and a half years ago now, my dad actually passed away unexpectedly. And when he died, my grandparents came to me with a huge stack full of unopened letters from my dad. And so every year on, my dad, on the anniversary of my dad's death, I, I love to like slow down. I usually like to take the day off and slow down and reflect on my dad's life and um, the beauty and the tragedy that was my dad's life. But each year I too can, can open a new letter. I have new words from my dad. Words that are over 20 years old. Words to his son. Words, mind you, my dad was undoubtedly a believer. Uh, crazy story. My dad was undoubtedly a Christian, and here he is giving words to his son for the road, right? For the road that lies ahead, even after his death. And friends, what I want you to see there is that as as much as I would have done, I would have done anything to have a healthy, stable, consistent, present relationship with my dad, no doubt. But what I want you to see is like, this is the faithfulness of God. This is the kindness of God. This is the mercy of God bringing beauty from ashes. Beauty from the broken places of my past and my family's past and blessing me through the words of my dad, even now. Um, so where do you see beauty in the broken places of your past and how does that give you hope for the present and even the future as you would reflect like the psalmist does? Some of you have been through stuff even more traumatic than I've experienced in my life, and I'm quite a bit older than you now. Um, but it doesn't even have to be super traumatic, you know? I mean, some of you have been through breakups, right? And... In the moment, you thought you would never survive it. Or maybe you're in that moment now and you, and you think like, I'll never survive this. But as you like maybe look back, you see that God's at work. You see that God has maybe protected you from something less beautiful than what he has for you. Right? Some of you have been, to use the imagery of this psalm here, you've been in the teeth of a toxic relationship. Um, and by a sheer miracle, you found your way out. And where you thought you'd be permanently broken because of the teeth of that relationship, it's actually become a part of you that shines most beautifully now. It's the thing that people want to enter into in your life because they can relate to you. It's the vulnerability that you can love people with. Uh, freshmen, 
right? This isn't even some of you, all of you, right? Even if you think it hadn't been that bad, if this were a normal year, it wouldn't, it would be uh, much better. But you're all in like the broken place of trying to make some sort of life for yourself here at Berkeley. When everyone is isolated, uh, when life is upside down and you're locked in a closet, like taking Zoom classes all day, right? And you're always fearful of catching some crazy invisible virus out there by just saying hey to somebody or trying to make a new friend. Like even if you're not scared of coronavirus, you still carry yourself. You're still embodied in this different way in public spaces because life is just all out of sorts. But as you reflect on God's faithfulness in the past, for those of you that are Christians, like has it dawned on you that maybe God is doing something beautiful even now in the brokenness of this COVID-19 era? Some of us are hiding things. In fact, everybody on this call has hid things before in their life, and probably everybody on this call is hiding something now. It could be an addiction. Um, It could be body image issues. It could be self-harm. It could be the double life that you live on the weekends or at night when like none of your RUF friends are around or none of your church friends are around. Um, And you think to yourself, like, I've got to keep hiding this. I've got to put it away. I've got to tuck it away where it can never be seen because You fear if somebody actually knows the real you, everything falls apart. So you just hide it. And the psalmist is really confronting you right now because he's saying it's actually the opposite. You will fall apart pretending you're not broken. And the psalmist is telling us that the God of the Bible doesn't work in perfect places. The God of the Bible comes for the broken places. The God of the Bible does not work on perfect people and in perfect places. The God of the Bible comes for broken people and broken places. And how do we know this? How do we know this? We know this ultimately not just because we see it in the psalm, not just because we see it in our lives, because we, but ultimately because we see it on the cross. Every week we say the psalms point us to Jesus. They're not a moral manual for living a better life, for behaving better, for being braver, for being stronger, for not making bad mistakes on the weekends. They're pointing you ultimately to Jesus who lived the life for you that you could not live on your own. So in verse eight, the last verse of this psalm, the psalmist writes, our help is in the name of the Lord. And that word, the name, right, is not just a throwaway. What he has in view here is the name, the covenantal name of God. Yahweh, right? The God of the covenant. The God that promises to us that God will make beautiful what sin has broken. That God will bring mercy out of the mess. That he will enter into the brokenness and will bring out a beautiful new creation. 
It's, it's, it's the name of God. That's what the name of God means. And that, my friends, is what the incarnation is all about. God enters into the mess to bring his beautiful mercy. He enters into the broken places to make beautiful people. And on the cross, right, the cross climactically is our proof that God works in broken places. God does not deal with perfect people in perfect places. But God ascends the hill at Calvary, the darkest place the world has ever seen, the most vile and the most broken. And on that cross, God brings beauty out of broken places. And that's what we remember. That's where we have an advantage over the psalmist because we know how the story continues to unfold. And so as as we travel the road, we look back and we remember not just how God's been faithful in our breakups, not just how God's been faithful in the bad decisions we made last weekend, but ultimately, ultimately we look back at how God's been faithful in Jesus on the cross. And that gives us the hope for the road that lies ahead. We look to Jesus. We always look to Jesus because Jesus is the one who became broken so that we might become beautiful. That's the gospel, and that is good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again that uh, this morning we woke up and there were new mercies that met us no matter what we did last night and no matter what we do this night. And we pray that the Psalms would continue uh, to stain our hearts in indelible ways, uh, that the words of these Psalms would echo in our lives as we navigate um, college, as we navigate friendships, as we navigate marriages and miscarriages and lost jobs and death and life and all the things that are on the road that is ahead of us. May these words echo in our hearts and we ask that Jesus even more would be more beautiful and more believable than all of the lies that we encounter in the broken places that we occupy, the things that vie for our heart's affections. May we see Jesus as more worthy of our trust and may we receive his comfort. We ask these things in his name. Amen.